Hey everyone, I'm Chris Hall and you're listening to the Downtime Podcast, where we delve deep into the gravity-based side of mountain biking. First up, I want to thank our supporting partners and that's Earshots and YT Industries who both have great offers for you. If, like me, you've ever struggled to find a set of headphones that stay in when you're riding, your bike, running or in the gym, then you're in luck because Earshots have solved that problem. Their clever magnetic design and the fact that they've been developed with mountain biking in mind means that they are comfortable, stay put and are compatible with mountain biking helmets. Earshots recently launched an upgraded version of the product which I've been using all year and I've been really impressed with. They've got 90% more bass response, which makes a massive difference to how good they sound. Battery life is improved, they fit better, and they're more comfortable too. For a couple of years now, they've been my go-to headphones for riding or going to the gym, and the latest generation have just reinforced that. If you're looking for some headphones for riding, training, running, or just listening to your favourite podcasts, then Earshots have got you covered, and as a downtime listener, they're offering you 10% off. All you need to do is to enter the code DOWNTIME22 at the checkout over on earshots.com and the discount will be applied at the final stage of the checkout process. That's DOWNTIME all uppercase, no space, then the number 22 over at earshots.com. As well as having a lot of fun recently on the YT Capra, I've also had the chance to ride their brand new mountain biker's gravel bike, the Scepter, which hopefully you saw launch a couple of weeks ago. Following YT's philosophy, they've created something which really goes and means you can easily cover the miles, while at the same time turning the more tame trails of your ride into something that will put a smile on your face. The Geo brings a confidence to the ride that enables you to get over some pretty gnarly terrain too. I rode the Scepter with some of the YT crew out in Germany and there was a lot of whooping, hollering and laughing as we made our way around a slippery German woods with doubles being sent, steep descents being conquered and ground being covered at a rate of knots. As always with YT, this bike really delivers an insane spec for the price, but YT have gone even further and managed to reduce the pricing on a large number of their models. So if you've been considering a YT, then there's never been a better time to buy. What's even better is that as a downtime listener, YT are offering you £100 or US dollars or euros, depending on where you're based, off of their entire range. All you need to do is to select I have a voucher in the bottom left corner at checkout and use the code DOWNTIME2008. That's downtime with a capital D, no space, and the number 2008 over at yt-industries.com. The code is valid for a maximum of 200 uses and runs until the 31st of March 2023. While you're here, don't forget to subscribe or follow the podcast so you never miss an episode. Do that now by hitting follow or subscribe in your podcast app, or there's some buttons to help you get that done over at downtimepodcast.com forward slash subscribe. We've got a fully refreshed and expanded range of merch. This is available now over at downtimepodcast.com forward slash shop. It's all really nice quality, ethically sourced, delivered without any single-use plastics. And what's better is all the merch sales go directly to helping keep the podcast going. Unbelievably, Christmas is nearly here and a subscription to Downtime EP is the perfect gift for the mountain biker in your life or something awesome to put on your very own Christmas list. EP takes the podcast into a printed format with writing and imagery from some of mountain biking's most talented creators. Put together by the wonderful team over at Misspent Summers, you can guarantee that EP is a very lovely thing to own and read. Head to downtimepodcast.com forward slash EP to get yours now. All the links you need for all of this stuff are in the show notes for this episode over on downtimepodcast.com. And you can also get in touch and give us a follow on Instagram and Facebook by heading to at downtimepodcast. It's lovely to see you sharing the episodes there and it's always great to hear from you. All right, today I'm joined by mountain bike tester Paul Aston. Paul is going about things a little differently to most with a completely independent bike review channel. We sat down to catch up on progress over the last year. 
hear about his experiences of designing his own bike, riding the style in Spur, and hear how the industry has been responding to his approach. Paul and I chat about his incredible Sun Radical Plus restoration project, the technology on the World Cup downhill circuit, Sir on electric motorbikes, and plenty more. So without further ado, here's Paul Aston. Paul Aston, welcome back to the Downtime Podcast. It's uh, our third annual catch-up now. We seem to do this about the same time every year. Yeah, third time. Hopefully won't be as long as the first time. I still think I'm the only person who had the podcast split in two to make it a sensible amount of time. I think we, uh, we've we covered the backstory now, right? So yeah. we're bringing ourselves up to date each time. Are you the first ever guest to be dialing in via the gift of Starlink as well? Have you got that installed? I saw it had arrived. Nah, I got that yesterday. It actually costs one euro, which no one Pretty believes good. me. I was... Everything's been going quite well recently. So a few days ago, I was like, right, I'm just going to order it. I don't care how much it costs. Should have been 500 euros. Yeah. And then I put all my address and stuff in. And then the checkout updated. One euro. No way. And I was like, no way. They're going to send me like, it's just like a deposit or they're going to send me another bill. One euro. Why is that? I think they're just desperate to sell them. Fair enough. Right. I might try. It sounds pretty um, good, but it's not set up yet, right? It's set up in the house. I've come back to the, the camper van. <laughs> okay, um, so the camper's still on site, in. Well, I'm still living in it. Yeah. Two years, I think two years almost to the day I've been living in the camper full-time. Uh-huh. And I'm pretty sure I was going to sleep in the house tonight, but should be in there tomorrow night. But yeah, the Starlink's gone. Amazing consumer product. Turned up, one euro, open the box, there's four things, plug it in, open the app, worked. Amazing. I changed the satellite slightly because I put it too close to a tree. Yeah. Fastest internet I've ever seen, 180 wow. download today. That's insane. In the middle of watch. like farmland in Italy. Literally in the middle of nowhere. It was my only option yeah. really. I've been <laughs> running trying to run the business for a whole or for 18 months just on 4g <laughs> in the middle of nowhere and like yeah there's only limited places where you can use it it didn't work at all in the house right so that's one thing which like <laughs> a lot of times people will message like ah you got any more youtube videos coming soon like no because every time i upload it it's a nightmare it takes like a week sometimes <laughs> to get a video uploaded well, we've no, got Elon Musk to thank then for your yeah. latest content. Yeah, now we're moving forwards, onwards and upwards. Yeah. How much is it a month? You have to pay a monthly subscription to it, right? It's 85 euros a month. Okay. But I bought the campervan RV version, so you can take it anywhere you like. Yeah. Mega. And I thought, and you pay 30 days in advance, just with your credit card details in the app. Yeah. No, like, contracts or anything. Uh-huh. You just pay 30, 30 days in advance, and you can cancel any time. Very cool. Interesting. Yeah, that's a, it's a, a product that I've not come across in real life just yet, but I've heard a few mm. of the World Cup teams use it in the pits to get, get internet at some of the venues and stuff, and they seem to be pretty happy with it. So. Yeah, it's pretty expensive, but it's a worthwhile business expense if you spend yeah. <laughs> your whole life on the internet. And For sure. 
got more people visiting and friends staying and stuff so Nice. Good stuff, man. Well, before we get stuck into kind of what you've been up to over the last year and what your plans are for the the next year or so, I guess just remind everyone like what it is that you've set up out there uh, in rural Italy and what it is that you're you're aiming to achieve. Well, I didn't really set out with many aims. I set out (laughs) in a bit of a panic mode. Uh, I think we covered this in the last podcasts. Uh, covid was pretty bad for pretty bad for everybody but basically end up jobless homeless lifeless living in the camper van and thought yeah i need to do something new so basically bought a really cheap farm in italy and set up a review business because the only thing i can do is ride bikes and talk about them no other real skills <laughs> so and originally it was gonna I was gonna do YouTube videos and reviews and get paid to do the reviews. Uh-huh. The way most people most other people online get advertising yeah. or paid content from from brands. And the first bike that I should have got paid for, basically, long story short, they didn't pay me. Right. <laughs> and then I got really frustrated. I was like, oh my God, I can't believe this. The first one, they haven't paid me. I've got to think of a new idea. And then thought, well, I borrowed an idea from a guy called Matt Armstrong BMX. Okay. Borrowed, stole, copied, whatever you want to call it. And here's a guy doing YouTube videos about tuning up cars. And he's from Leicester, I think. So another Brummie from the UK. Buys cars, tunes them up makes videos about them, and then he gives them away in like raffle competitions. I thought that's a good way to buy bikes completely independently online or walk into a shop and just buy one, review it, try and get the best out of it, change a few bits and pieces, and then give it away in a, a raffle competition. So set up, a, set up my own raffle business online. It's actually a skill-based giveaway if anyone from HMRC government... <laughs> asks yeah so you do have to answer a skill-based question to be in the competition and yeah been doing that for 18 months now it's been a nice pretty big struggle obviously starting something completely new that no one's ever done before in the bike world got a lot of problems and it's evolved along the way yeah definitely man well and let's talk a bit about the farm, right? Because I think you you kind of fairly recently just moved in, like the last time we spoke, and you'd done a fair bit of the cleanup, I think, and you were keen to get stuck into like, improving some of the spaces on the farm and putting some trails in. How far have you managed to move forward with all that side of stuff? I've seen some trails and stuff you've been riding on, on the land. Not as far as I would have liked, obviously, but I don't think anything ever happens as fast as you would like it to happen. Yeah. but we got the water connected that took the best part of a year and the electric connected took a best the best part of a year also and yeah cleaned out all the house replastered it painted it fixed some old things got the washing machine going fridge going an arga cleaned out and connected and it's almost habitable now <laughs> um and then sort of built a workshop 
Nice, the garage, yeah, that looks cool. Part of the garage. Built built a decent vegetable plot. Had tons of food this year, considering the amount of effort put in. Uh, that was one of my plans to save me from not making any money from the bike business. Grow as much food as I can. Yeah. yeah, and there's tons of mushrooms in the garden, fruit trees that were already here. Grapevine on the front, which I've had probably 10 kilos of grapes in the last few months. Amazing. And got a Sauron electric motorbike enduro loop around the garden. Nice. Yeah, I saw the video of that. Two, we'll talk about Sauron's a bit later for sure. Yeah, yeah two, two really short tracks in the garden which basically, well, the Miss Spent Summers track that your friends, our friends James and Ben and Theo built, uh-huh. which is insanely technical. <laughs> 20 seconds long, but basically unrideable. Actually, yeah. last time James came here, I gave him my e-bike to ride it, and he built it, and he left the bike halfway down. <laughs> and so I'm calling and him he's out pretty there. handy. Yeah. He's pretty good on the bike. Yeah. yeah, He rode it on his own bike, and then my e-bike, he got halfway in walked down <laughs> um and then now i've got a track all the way from the top of the hill through the garden down to the bottom of the hill with the tarmac road all the way back up amazing how long's the track then from with that sort of elevation it's uh 370 meters vertical well fair, i don't know how long the track bit, is then. but it's probably it's an eight kilometer loop on Strava and 370 yeah. vertical. Yeah. And I think at full speed, it would take six, seven minutes to ride. Yeah. And it's got the insane gray earth. I don't know how to describe them. Dirt ridges. Yeah. Check yeah. it out on my Instagram, like dirt ridge valleys made out of gray gravelly stuff. Yeah, it's pretty unique. Yeah, it's really similar to the grey earth or the black earth in Dean Lebas in France, uh-huh. which you've probably seen on Trans-Provence and a lot of other videos. Yeah. And it's actually a really similar latitude to, to Dean, where I am. Okay. So yeah, similar kind of terrain. Probably not the best terrain to have as a backyard test track because there's a few places where if you go off the edge, if you go off the edge of the, 20 centimeter wide ridge yeah you'd be lucky to come back out of there ever <laughs> not a I beginner guess. trail yet just I yet. Know, you could definitely die on that track if you went off the yeah. wrong the wrong place fair play well it sounds like you made some good progress and you'd, you'd had a pretty <clears> challenging <throat> year the last time we sat down there'd been a fair few issues you were pretty maxed out on uh, a lot of credit cards how mm. How's that kind of moved on over the last twelve months? Credit most of the credit card debt's still there. Okay. <laughs> but uh that side is improving. I transferred some of it to a loan, so that makes me feel slightly better. Uh-huh. Um I'm sure my dad and my brother would like me to repay them as well more quickly. But so yeah, that's life. all improving really. That's getting yeah. getting better quite quickly recently. So, yeah, that's positive. It was awesome. a great idea in hindsight buying such a cheap place because if I'd had a big mortgage on this place, well, I would have been kicked out months and months ago by the bank. Uh-huh. But yeah, it was damn cheap. Probably 
yeah, I don't think you buy any property in the UK for this price. Not, not even a flat. Yeah. It feels like uh, like you've seen a lot of growth in what you're doing. Like it feels like people are starting to catch on to it. Like your Instagram's grown a lot. It feels like the YouTube stuff's grown as well. Are you seeing that from your side? Like how do you feel about it? Yeah, massive, massive growth. I haven't done any like real promotion, marketing, advertising. Maybe spent 300 euros on a few Facebook promotions. Uh-huh. So it's all organic, I guess is the word. Yeah. YouTube went from nothing to about three and a half thousand now. And Instagram's gone from, I think, 4,000 when I first started up to 13,000. Uh-huh. Yeah, all good. Mailing list, yeah. people signing up all the time. Nice. And ticket sales going up all the time. So, yeah, yeah. Really, really good. And the engagement seems really good. Like, it's it's one thing having a number on a social media platform or a YouTube platform, but it's like how much are your followers, viewers, whatever, actually engaged in it? And people do seem to be, like, really getting stuck in. Like, there's a lot of comments on the posts. People seem genuinely, yeah. genuinely, like, vested in what you're doing, which is cool. Well, I posted a picture of that gold banshee that's mm-hmm. live at the moment. I think I maybe got 2,000 likes with yeah. 13,000 followers. I looked at another mountain bike website who've got half a million followers. Yeah, half a million? 500,000 followers. Uh-huh. And they got like 800 likes in their post. Yeah. The same the same picture. There you go. So I guess that's yeah. positive <laughs> for me. Yeah. Yeah, you're doing something right for sure. Let's um yeah, let's talk about some of the projects this year then. Um I'm guessing it's fair to say not all of them have been a success um and maybe we'll touch on some of those challenges but there's been some positives and some super interesting stuff in there as well one of the bikes that you've tested that really stands out to me is the starlin spur it's um Mm. it's pretty unique right quite a different different take on a mountain bike yes steel frame gearbox driven sort of semi-high pivot um the pivot runs through the fe gear gearbox and the swing arm actually rotates around the output drive of the gearbox. So uh-huh. the you can tension the belt with eccentric dropouts. The belt, sorry, the chain. Yeah. You can run you could run a belt on it. A gates belt if you wanted. So yeah, so there's no tensioners, no duelia, super lightweight rear wheel. Yes. Thin steel tube frame gearbox. Pretty extreme, I guess quite extreme geometry, although it seems normal to me now. Yeah, what's it like sixty two degree head angle or something? Like pretty slack compared to any sort of normal production bike out there, I guess. Yeah, I'm now calling it correct, not slack. <laughs> okay. I think it's right. Yeah. I'm pretty sure the head angles on all the bikes are gonna settle in the next few years to sixty two, sixty three. Yeah. For all all uh all disciplines. I don't see the, yeah. the point at all in having a steep head angle. And okay. If you go slacker, you get you get some problems as well. With like binding of forks and things, or yeah, mainly the forks stuff. can't handle the the head angle. Yeah. So whether you say the head angle's too slack or the fork's not good enough, it depends uh-huh. on your your point of view. Yeah. How and how was the style into ride? I, I know you had a few issues in kind of 
getting it together and getting it up and running. But unbelievable! That was one of the best bikes I've ever rode for a very short period of time. Yeah, steel bikes. I've got a steel bike in the garage now as well. Like a lot of people dismiss them instantly because they're too heavy or maybe they don't have super nice formed tube shapes. But the the ride characteristic of a steel bike is really good, really well, really well damped, really quiet. And the styling was, wow. Yeah, unbelievable. That super lightweight rear wheel, all the weight in the middle of the frame, no pedal kickback, good anti-rise silent really really quiet those thin tubes don't um echo or oh, what's the word amplify the sound at all yeah yeah so yeah super quiet super smooth super grippy not super stiff which i like for, for grip yeah i rode it a few days in the bike park near to me and in the port unbelievable like you could race that at World Cup downhill, I think, and not not struggle. For what uh, was it? One seventy. Yeah, one seventy. Yeah. Interesting. It's and for most people, they would consider that too. Probably say it's too heavy. If they were looking at the specs, they'd say it's too heavy. What's it like? Nineteen point something kilos. My, I did actually weigh that bike. I've refused to weigh bikes now, but I think I weighed it. At Maybe twenty point five. Okay, and that was with a fairly like aggressive build, but like quite a oh, yeah. high end build, yeah. Yeah, Daniel tires, Olin suspension, dropper post, which are they're heavy. Yeah, yeah. The gearbox, the standard alloy Effie gear cranks with pedals and a bottle cage and tools. Uh huh. And how a lot of people was get it, really, like, really concerned about weighing bikes. <clears throat> yeah, and then when they want to weigh them, they want to take all the bits off to weigh them. <laughs> but I always weigh them with the pedals and the bottle cage and yeah. the the bolt-on tool. Um, As yeah, you ride got, it, basically. You, yeah. yeah, you've got to weigh it with all the all the stuff on. Yeah. How was it to ride? Did you could you feel that weight? Because that's probably what let's say five kilos heavier than what most people would consider like an enduro bike weight. Yeah. You can feel it in a massive injection of confidence every time you ride into any bumps. Uh huh. In the same way that you feel with an e-bike. Is that similar? kind? Yeah. Of? Yeah. 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 Better than an e-bike because the rear wheel so light on that bike. Okay. On an e-bike, you've got a ton of sprung mass, but then you've also got loads of unsprung Huge derailleur, uh, huge cassette, like those big eagle cassettes. They're really heavy, aren't they? 400, 500 yeah. grams. I hadn't thought about that on uh, on going with a gearbox. I obviously had thought about the benefits of not having a derailleur as far as hitting it on stuff, but I'd not thought about the benefits of removing that mass from that part of the bike, especially the cassette, like you say. It's, pretty, it's, a, big, it's a big chunk of metal, right? Yeah. Well, and we built that with a Hope single speed hub, a really lightweight sprocket, which actually the guy who won it snapped the sprocket the first day he rode it <laughs> in the first half an hour. Not yeah. to go home. Uh, so a lightweight sprocket we just took from an old cassette. And yeah, 
direct mount uh, brake caliper, no no adapters or anything. Yeah, so yeah, super lightweight disc? wheel. No, uh, two hundred, I think. Yeah, direct yeah. mount for two hundred. Okay, nice. I think so. Don't yeah. quote me on that. Okay, but yeah, super lightweight rear wheel. The wheel just moves out of the way of everything. Yeah, unbelievable. And that was with an Olin's rear shock, was it? Yeah, the TTX twenty two. It's the normal normal Olin's yeah. shock. How did you get on with that? Because you're you're generally a big proponent of the Cane Creek Kitsuma that gets finds its way onto a lot of your like custom builds and your upgraded builds. Uh, how did you find that Olin's? You said that the rear wheel was super responsive, but obviously the shock is part of that, not just the weight. Yeah, Olin's shocks was great. Had it pre-tuned at JTEC in Shrewsbury, and they moved up one or two shim stacks on compression, or two compression up to yeah. on the compression. And I think the rebound yeah. was the same. Okay. The rebound's mostly dependent on your weight, I think. Uh huh. And the like, if you're a big, heavy guy with certain linkages, you need a different shim stack. Different okay. rebound stack. Yeah. To your the rebound speeds in range. No, I think the but compression's the... more about the rider weight plus style and uh-huh. speed. Rider speed. Yeah. That yeah, I'd never thought about speed. Yeah, really good. That makes sense. Yeah. Nice. Uh, you have... I just think the original Cane Creek was Olin's twin tube technology. Okay. So they're basically in some ways, the same thing. Uh-huh. And you, I'm you, a big fan of the Kitsuma over the Olins because it's just got a massive range of adjustment, so you never need to retune it. Yeah. Whereas the Olins, there's, I think, 12 different shim sack options, which you can, you can get yourself the correct shim sack and then fine-tune it with the dials. But the Kitsuma or double barrel, you've got a massive, you've got the whole range nearly. Okay. So you can yeah, put it on any stock. bike, any rider, any spring rate and just turn the clicks to the right place. Got you. That makes sense. And you you unfortunately had a, a crack on that bike after a, a bit of time, which was around kind of around the bottom bracket area, was it? Around the it was the, the uh, gearbox on top area. of the down tube uh-huh. where the uh, the gearbox mount was welded on. Yeah. And, and initially, everyone just said it was me because I break all the bikes and I'm <laughs> just an idiot. Everyone seems to tell me. Um, but turns out, I think four out of eight they made cracked in the same place. Okay. And then they've, they did a repair on all of those where they added a plate like over the top of the join yeah. and welded all around it to distribute the pressure. So this time it wasn't just me. <laughs> so, yeah, talk us through that because, I mean you have had a lot of things break. Maybe we'll talk about that more generally in a sec, but Stalin's response I thought was quite quite cool, quite unique, right? Maybe different from other brands that you've been involved with throughout the last 12 months. Well, they bothered to respond, so that was a really good start. <laughs> um, to be fair, they said they did a lot of testing and one of their test riders, I think he's called Rob, messaged me on Instagram and they're like, we don't understand why it's broke because we tested that bike or two prototypes for ages 
And I think Rob said he's 110 kilos. And I'm like 69 kilos. Yeah. Right. And they never had a problem. And I do actually believe them when they say they've tested something, never have a problem. I do believe those guys when they say that. A lot of brands, I don't believe. But I think those guys did genuinely test for a long time and didn't have a problem. Yeah. And they said that. They said they don't know why the production ones started to fail in the same place. Interesting. But, yeah. No no idea. I can't answer that. But, yeah, it was a great response from them. I was chatting to Joe the whole time. Uh, maybe I was a little bit too frustrated with him at some points. But, yeah, I was a consumer. I'd spent the best part of £10,000 on a bike and just had loads of problems. So, yeah, I think he was... Hopefully he doesn't hate me that I was too <laughs> grumpy, frustrated, upset with him. But, yeah, they fixed it in the end. Fixed it, repainted it. And, yeah, we gave it away in the competition. They gave it away with a full warranty to the new owner. Nice. And I'm sure the guy... The new owner won't have any other problems apart from now that problem's been fixed. The rest of the bike seems solid, absolutely solid. Yeah, yeah. Are you, I mean, you have had a lot of issues over the last couple of years, um, and I'm interested to get your thoughts on it. Like, what you think's going on? You said you've had a bit of stick, kind of online. Are oh, you just, you know, you're just breaking stuff, blah blah blah, whatever it happens to be. I mean, I. I don't have like a huge group of rider mates uh, and I wouldn't say any of them are particularly like mega fast or hard riders, but I don't feel like there's like certainly compared to 15, 20 years ago, I don't feel like there's that many product issues that I see, but you are seeing a lot. Like it's almost been pretty close to hundred percent failure rate to, of some level across a lot of stuff you've tested. Like, what are your thoughts on what's happening? Are you get are you getting unlucky? Are you particularly hard on product? Like, what's your take on it? Well, a lot of people do say or think, or the way they write a message, they think that I'm just like, right, I'm gonna get this bike and just huck it to flat a thousand times <laughs> in a row until it breaks. But pretty much everything's broken, barely riding it. So some of the failures have been like incorrectly assembled from new or yeah you know not just not built correctly which is partially due to the the covid boom and problems in factories with staff being able to work orders yeah. coming in rushing things out assembly line problems which you can blame some some failures on I think a lot of the failures really are just the mountain bike industry's like desperately always trying to make something new. Mm -hmm. Like if you look at motocross bikes, they've just been the same now for years, years and years and years, pretty much the same slight changes. Whereas with mountain bike brands, they all want to like reinvent the wheel. Every, every new bike launch, different suspension platforms, different materials a lot of brands might make like a carbon and an alloy version and maybe they won't spend so much time testing the two different material options mm -hmm. 
And also, I think a lot of the stuff's just too weak. People, are, A lot of people want to buy lightweight bikes and all the marketing's around lightweight. If you're making something lightweight, it's going to break <laughs> eventually. Yeah, yeah, fair. And also, a lot of the stuff has gone, like enduro bikes, for example. Years ago, you get a trail bike and you go trail riding, and it would have really bad geometry. So you like couldn't ride them that fast. Yeah. Because now all the bikes have got, or most of the bikes, got really good geometry. You can go really fast on them down downhill tracks. But you're still trying to ride, or brands brands are still trying to make like a 12 kilo enduro bike with a 62 degree handle that you can go mm-hmm. insanely fast on, and then you're just going to smash it. Yeah. So you think there's yeah. a like almost a minimum weight for stuff, really? The, the certain yeah, stuff that's yeah. going to get ridden hard. Yeah. 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 yeah like so, I say, a lot of the problems just happened. I think brands rushing and not prototyping properly. Like the Banshee, that had like small cracks on it. The Banshee Titan, but they'd already come out with an updated version. Okay. Um, and they're a small company, probably, you know, maybe they don't have the time and the resources to really prototype everything. But I'm really good friends with Keith. I chat to him a lot. By the time I told him I'd found a problem with mine, they'd already got the new version in production mm-hmm. to solve the problem. And, but yeah, just too lightweight, too much rushing, desperation to reinvent the wheel all the time. And yeah, you can just ride the bikes too fast now. Too easy to ride them fast. That's true. What have the communications been like with the brands then? Because I guess you're kind of unique in what you're doing in in that you're, like you say, you're buying them as a consumer, um, but you're communicating about that to a bigger and bigger audience every every day kind of thing like are you a bit of a thorn in their side are they willing to kind of cooperate and hear what you have to say i'm sure it varies from brand to brand but like what's the what have the relationships been like and how's that changing as what you're doing is growing definitely varies some companies i won't i won't name any names specifically in this but some companies just completely ignore me despite multiple emails and getting their dealers or whoever to contact them, just ignore uh-huh. me completely. Never replied to this day. Uh, Norco, for example, they were really good with the communication. And eventually, because of my reviews, updated their Norco Shore bike, the design, mm-hmm. the tech manual, the sent existing uh, owners of that bike they sent them new bolt kits and new products yeah like idler wheels chain retention chain rings different things to upgrade their bike so that's really positive it's really negative review but their response was positive yeah. it's a little frustrating that i feel like i just did all their <laughs> prototyping for them and lost yeah. I, be- I guess it depends how you work it out but if you work out how much money i lost on that norco I don't know, between two and ten grand, easy, uh-huh. lost. And then other brands are great. Orange, I will name the good ones, Orange Bikes, they're great. They share all my stuff, they reply to all the messages. If you say something's bad about the bike, they're like, yeah, well, 
that's just our bike. We like it like that. So, uh-huh. uh, like no, we make bikes like that. We're proud of them. We like them. That's what it is. If you don't like it, buy something else. Fair. I think that's fair. And yeah, the brands have been yeah happy, helpful. What, I think anyone who does... gets a good review now is really happy. <laughs> because... Yeah, yeah, for sure. What does what yeah. does a good response look like from a brand? Like what what are you looking for from a company if you have issues, right? Because every brand to some extent has warranty, right? And not everything is built perfectly. There's mm. always going to be a small percentage that that fail and hopefully not too many examples where a large percentage go, but it does happen. People make mistakes. Like what what does a good brand response look like for you? Well, I think the best response was from Anomaly Constructs. They make that seat angle, seat tilting attachment thing. Switch grade, which gives you three different seat angles sort of on the fly with a little lever. Yeah. They shared all my stuff, promoted my stuff, sent me a massive email, like A4 page email, saying thanks for the support and the positive positivity mm-hmm. and they said oh thanks we we didn't even think of some of those benefits of our product and now you've given us some more positives <laughs> and benefits to think about like we never even thought that it could help us or you could set it up that way yeah so yeah they were really happy and yeah really just the other brands you just want a quick email response and just like a, a firm answer as to what's going to happen. Yeah, yeah, okay. Whereas a lot of the brands are like, ah, oh, yeah, we're, we're working on it. Ah, oh, we'll get back to you. Ah, oh, it should be here next week. And then the next week arrives. Ah, oh, it should be. Oh, it's in the boat. <laughs> like, there's always like an excuse. I just want them to tell me it's going to take six months to get you the replacement. Yeah, so you know where you're and at. I want it to come in six months. Then I'm, then I'll be happy. Yeah. When you keep comment. getting told, like pushed around, told, told that something's going to arrive or be sorted out, and then it's not. That gets really frustrating. Yeah. Because then you can't plan your your riding time around it, which is the most important thing that we all want. Yeah, that is fair, and I mean, so frustrating to the point that you decided to go out and. Uh get your own bike built kind of through i don't know how to pronounce it is it a gary i don't know how to pronounce it either okay edgery 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 i think that's desperation not frustration go on then tell us a bit about that because it's interesting just need a bike (laughs) to ride (laughs) because i've got no bikes yeah i got really frustrated in the summer like when the Stalin broke, no way, this is not possible. The frames broke, the forks being fixed under warranty, the gearbox is getting replaced within a few days, like five days riding maximum. I was like, this is impossible. I've got four or five bikes that are like 10 grand each. None of them work. <laughs> it's like middle of the summer. I plan to go to Morzean, brought a season pass so you can just ride and test every day. Easily, easy test riding, also fun as well for myself. And I got some big plans. I wanted to take all the test bikes there and, you know, go and find people in the queue 
the queue on plenty. Like, yeah. mate, do you want to ride this completely tuned Common Style Supreme with all this tuned suspension? We'll put a GoPro on you and just ride down and see what see what you think. Yeah. Loads of plans for the summer. Then all the bikes are broken. But I was booked in with Edgery, Nico, who lives 30 minutes away from Morzine. Uh-huh. He was going to make some replacement steel front ends for the common cells. And then just before I was about to order, the, order them, he posted on his Instagram like a short travel trail bike with a semi-high pivot. Then I messaged him saying, can you just make me one of those to my geometry? Yeah, I'll make it anything you want. Yeah. He's like, ah, oh, I can still fit it in your build slot for the front ends, if you, which would have been done at the end of August. He's like, we can fit it into that build slot if you get me the geometry by like six o'clock tonight. And it was like two, two in the afternoon. <laughs> so he's panic, put some geometry and some numbers down and some sort of estimates as what I wanted from the leverage ratio and the, the kinematics. Yeah. And then there's a couple of things that you couldn't do that I wanted, so I had to compromise a little bit, like tube sizing and stuff. Mm-hmm. And yeah, just I said, yeah, just go for it. And I built, I chose most of the parts or the frame spec around the parts I already had. Okay. Because normally you do it the other way around. You buy a frame and then buy all the parts to fit. Yeah. It's like, well, I've got two broken downhill bikes. I've got a downhill fork, 250mm shock, 157 rear wheel, 83 mil BB shell, all those things. Yeah. So I chose all those specs so the frame would <laughs> would suit all the parts from the broken bikes. And yeah, he turned it around in like two and a half weeks. Nice. And well, I just did an Instagram post about this. I'm not sure when this podcast is going to come out. I'm obviously biased, but I think that's the best mountain bike ever made let's tell us a bit about the geometry then where did you uh where did you opt for in that like sweet spot for you so 500 mil reach uh-huh 62 head angle 80 degree seat angle 500 mil chain stay and zero mil bb drop with okay. mullet wheels how tall are you for people's reference I'm 185 tall, but my arms are 195. Okay. <laughs> Whereas normal people, the height and the arm span is about the same. Yeah. But I've got a massive gangly ape index arms. <laughs> so I think I need a slightly bigger bike than my actual height. So is that reach relative in like the grand scheme of what people would consider long today? It's not that long? No. Not massively long. Okay. I could it could be a bit longer now. I've got a reach headset in there. Uh-huh. Works reach adjust plus five mil and a forty okay. mil stem, which is a bit longer than I'd like. Yeah. But I want the slightly longer stem to match the offset on the boxer, which is too long, fifty six mil. Uh-huh. And I can't for the life of me get any more crowns with a shorter offset. Right. Yeah, yeah. Still, still trying. Yeah, so if anyone knows of some short offset Rockshox crowns, hit Paul up. 
Yeah, uncut steerer, long steerer, yeah. please. And I went slightly shorter than I would have done because I've been convinced for years if you have a longer chain stay, it makes the front of the bike feel shorter. Okay, interesting. And I wanted to go for a really long chain stay, so it's a 500 mil chain stay. Yeah. Which I was confident to go for because I had 495 mil custom dropouts on the Silver Supreme. Yeah. And that's 495 reach, 495 dropouts, uh, chain stay, sorry. And that was absolutely fine. Yeah. If not better at cornering than any other bike. So I went 500, 500 on this steel bike. But yeah, you most of it was panic, reach now. panic. Uh, we need to build a bike. Here's some numbers. <laughs> Please build it. Well, yeah, I've just ordered a new one with 510 reach and 490 chainstay. Okay. What's made you come back on chainstay a little bit? I can't manual it. Okay. Literally can't. can't. It's too, too I much. You can't manual it. Yeah. I can't yeah. get it up. Yeah. As I say. Right. Yeah, I can't. Is... If, if there's like something on the trail, you can pop and get into a proper manual. Yeah. And um, I can manual it enough, like one, two, three meters to get over obstacles. We saw you need to. And, well, I'm joking. I didn't make it shorter so I could manual it properly. I don't think you need to be able to do a proper manual on a mountain bike for mountain biking. No, but you need to be able to lift the end yeah. relatively easily to get through terrain yeah. and push the bike through things, right? Yeah, I think the chain stay was maybe slightly too long because it gets longer because of the pivot point. Uh-huh. So 490 should be 510, should match the reach on the new version yeah. whereas now the chain stays slightly longer than the reach okay which yeah yeah all right i'm not sure if it's a good or bad thing but yeah slightly longer at the front a little bit shorter at the back but i still want a long chain stay definitely after riding that bike yeah why do you think longer chain stay bikes are something you find turn well because a lot of people would i guess assume the opposite right short bike's going to be easier to turn I think, well, a longer bike, a longer chain stay, a longer bike turns better when you're leaning over. Mm -hmm. And a shorter bike with a steeper head angle turns as a smaller turn in radius if you're not leaning the bike and you're just turning the handlebars. Okay. But generally when we're turning, we're leaning, right? That's how it works for us. Yeah. And the faster you go, the more, the more you're leaning in the corners. Yeah. Do you think uh, riders of lesser skill would find a longer bike harder to maneuver? Is it a, is there an element of being able to ride fast enough to have that ability to maneuver it, do you think? I don't know. I think anyone would find my bike easier to ride than any other bike they've got in at the moment. Uh -huh. It's just so easy to ride that bike. so easy. Well, it's a long chain stay long front combined with a high bb because zero mil bb drop yeah i think all the bbs on bikes are too low now okay and people and have gotten it higher from... helps it drop drop into corners more easily okay because you yeah, wait the, BB... above the axles 
the BB drop thing is quoted as a as something that helps the bike turn, right? Like it's easier in turns with a lower BB. It's kind of what the marketing would tell you. I'm not saying that's necessarily yeah. the, the right answer. Well, but... I'm not an expert on this. I'm not like a physics expert or I don't have like a massive R&D department behind me doing all these testing, which I think some brands should be doing. I think the low BB thing just comes from years ago. The bikes are really short, really steep, really unstable, smaller wheels. So the axles are higher. And like on old downhill bikes, the BB used to be higher than the axles on a lot of them. Yeah. Yeah. But then bikes have just got longer. The wheels have got bigger. The axles have gone up. Head angles have got slacker, more stable. Everything's got more stable, and we're still measuring, trying to get the BB as low to the floor as possible, which I don't agree with. Okay. Partly because I don't like clipping my feet on rocks, especially at high speeds, because I'd sacrifice any cornering ability to not clip my foot on a rock and go over the bars and break a collarbone or people have been kind of counteracting it with shorter cranks right it seems to be a trend towards shorter cranks Mm. i think hope just Mm. launched a really like a really short crank they were promoting recently yeah well there's you have pedal strikes when you're pedaling which a shorter crank would help but you also you can also hit your pedals quite easily and when your pedals are level and you're rolling through rocks or in ruts that kind of thing Mm -hmm. yeah and also think of like a long truck going over speed bumps if you've got a really long truck on a speed bump or a really long car the middle of the car is going to grind could grind on the speed bump so we made the wheelbases 20 30 centimeters longer than they were 10 years ago BB height still the same. So when you're going over obstacles, you're more likely to hit your hit your BB, your cranks, chain ring. Yeah, yeah, fair. So you've made the best bike ever. You've not broken it. When when is uh, Aston MTB, the bike company, getting started? Well, after riding that bike for one day, I messaged the guy, said, "I'll take ten of them <laughs> tomorrow. Can you make me ten? Yeah. And he was like, nah, I just like to make sort of one-off custom bikes. Um, but I have been talking to some other people about a production bike, possibly. Yeah. That's a whole different ball game, isn't it? Setting up a bike brand. Yes, very different. But it would be interesting. It'd be a fun mm-hmm. project. And I think it's the best bike in the world, not just because... I guess it's some numbers, but the whole package, like the steel frame is repairable and nice and quiet and really cheap. It was 1,700 euros for that frame. That's impressive. Which is cheaper than any bike, any frame you can buy. No. Yeah. I think from any normal brand. It's got really good tuned suspension from NSR racing and race only coil springs. Yeah. So coil boxer, custom dampers front and rear. I've also got a Manitou Cane Creek set up from Rulesman for it. Mm-hmm. But at the moment, it's got the RockShox stuff on it. 
and that's just dead simple, really well tuned. Doesn't need any work, just keeps working really, really well. Then super reliable wheels, Hope wheels with the EX471 rims. Hope brakes, so those new Tech 4 brakes, they've got to be the best brake on the market by far in every category. And yes, yeah, just overall, really good package. So I think overall it's the best bike ever made in terms of geometry, handling, suspension, reliability, price, durability, all all those things put together. So but as, if you as set up a bike company, you then you make your life very difficult to have all those to match all those criteria in a production bike. And obviously yeah, that bike is just tuned for me at the moment. Yeah. So to to spread that across uh, different customers' sizes would get very difficult. Yeah. So as a bike reviewer yourself, this is your first time like creating a bike, certainly at that level. You've definitely put builds together, but you know, designing geometry and bits and pieces. Who would you want to review it? Like who would be the dream reviewer to come swing a leg over that bike for a few weeks and tell you their thoughts hmm. Fabian Burrell okay or Nico it's too big for Nico I think but Fabian could ride it yeah and I saw him in finale at the EWS and he was we had a good chat about it he seemed really interested okay that would and, be uh, cool he didn't I told him all the geo and the kinematics and stuff and he didn't he's like yeah all sounds good okay he didn't he didn't criticize anything or he didn't have any reasons why things wouldn't work he seemed pretty convinced by it yeah interesting that you pick two people that are like racers and people that work in development and not people that write for websites or magazines or any of that side of thing mm well someone who works for a magazine alex evans okay yeah yeah Yeah. at uh, bike radar mbk wow wow he wears flat pedals Mm -hmm. and yeah he's really 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 good rider and Okay, maybe I'm being biased here because I know he'd like it. He'd definitely like it. So maybe <laughs> maybe I'm as bad as the marketing teams. <laughs> I would definitely like that bike. Might be a little bit big for him again. Why are flat pedals important in this? Like, Do you think it's like has an impact, your pedal choice has an impact on your bike choice or your bike design? I don't know if it strictly has an influence, but the way the techniques you use to ride flats over clips can be different. And like a good flat rider definitely rides different to a good clip rider. Okay. But doesn't necessarily mean that all flats, all flat riders ride one way and all clip riders ride another way. I got you. But But Al's like full heels down, really like straight legs, sort of a dead weight on the bike a lot of the time Uh to sort of set up straight, pump in pushes a lot into corners pumps a lot quite um we're like a like heavy rider Mm. but also like loading the bike a lot to go light over stuff yeah 
so heavy but light, if that makes sense. Yeah, 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 yeah. I know. I just mean. got into you... my beer, so maybe I'm <laughs> making less sense. But you think that that uh, style of riding is rewarded by that bike design? Does that make sense? Like you think? I guess what I'm getting at is, do you think riding style matches up better with some bikes than others? Yeah. So again, it comes down to a lot of setup, rider style, yeah, pedal, terrain, lots of different things. But I would definitely like it. Yeah. So who's Someone the unbiased like, choice? <laughs> uh, I'm not sure. Who else? Alan Muldoon. Yeah, okay. Muldoon, AJ Barlas from NSMB. Uh, Alan's yeah. from MBR in the UK. Yeah. Alan, Alan often seems to be put out there as the tester of testers. He's completely wasted at MBR in that tiny print magazine. He needs a much bigger voice. He's the guy. He's one of the top guys. But yeah, no yeah. one, not many people read his stuff because he works for a small print magazine. Uh-huh. Any plans he's to a- get any of these people on it? If anybody wants to come and test it, yeah, they can pay me for a test day. No worries. Okay. Yeah, I saw you mentioned in the post. What was the going rate? A couple hundred dollars for uh, any of your viewers and five grand if you work for a mag. If you're a mag or a bike company, five grand a day. Okay. Because <laughs> I put a lot of effort into that bike. <laughs> I don't just want to give away all my testing and knowledge too too easily. I'll give away a lot uh-huh. of stuff for free. Um, oh, yeah, if anybody wants to buy it right now, 10 grand. Because the next one should be better. But I need some money to invest into it. Yeah, I've already got a whole list of improvements for the next one. Good, Matt. It's cool. Yeah. It, I, basically, I the next one. You're creating a bike company without knowing it. Feels like you're like on that journey. Maybe, maybe. <laughs> I'm not sure if I want to. I can't manage myself. Very well. I don't know if I can manage a bike company. Who knows, man? You never know if you don't try. Yeah. If somebody right. wants to set up a bike company, and I'll write some numbers down on paper. Easy. <laughs> All right, done. <laughs> Deal. Well, I don't let's, want to do it myself. <laughs> let's talk about another ba- another bike that you've got in the uh, in the garage, which I'm pretty uh, pretty excited to see in the collection, and I'm, I'm intrigued as to what your plans are with it. You've got a, a Sun Radical Plus mm. from the the uh, golden era of downhill racing probably one of the most advanced bikes to have found its way onto downhill tracks and it's how old now over 20 years 25 years ish i think that one's 1999 that model uh-huh. yeah okay there's 23 few, years there's definitely a lot of different iterations of that bike that racers had and different model years so i'm not sure exactly which one it is yeah yeah, that bike's insane for yeah, twenty three years old. When you go through go through its features, I still think it's way ahead of most of today's bikes. Like yeah. upside down fork, um shock running on spherical bearings, pull linkage, which is very important, I think. Steel frame. Yeah. Uh, what else has it got? The brake calipers like nestled in the swing arm out of arm's way. Mm-hmm. Quite a high pivot. 
yeah, just cool, amazing bike for the time. Yeah, and the testing I remember they were off doing. Top and... my head now, like at the time, it must have been insane. Like Formula hydraulic disc brakes, Boss suspension, yeah, all that stuff. Incredible yeah, compared machine. to what everyone else was riding at that time, yeah, like, yeah, it was yeah. super advanced, and they had loads yeah. of uh, data logging and bits yeah. and pieces that other people weren't doing. They were mm. experimenting with all sorts, I think. Yeah, exactly. I don't know exactly what they were doing, but yeah, Bossard, Nico, Max Commonsal. I don't think anybody's really matched that still to this day. The level I think of... not in that detail. No. Well, I just look at no, the production right. bikes. Everyone's racing production bikes. Yeah, I think I feel like they go into quite a lot of detail in the off season around mm. you know all the variables that are available to them. I don't know how much the, like maybe they're not doing as much in front of people as maybe we mm. saw with Sun back in the day. I don't know. Hard to know, yeah. isn't it? Yeah, it's hard to know. Hopefully some brands are doing a lot of, a lot of interesting stuff. I still think it's funny when, and I'm going to take this quote from Nigel Reeve, people say it's like the Formula One of mountain biking. And Nigel, say, <laughs> Nigel says, it's not Formula One. It's not even Renault Clio Cup. It's like complete <laughs> stock car racing. Everyone is running all stock stuff. Yeah. And a lot of the World Cup mechanics don't even rebuild the suspension. They just pick up the suspension from the 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 race truck. Yeah, it goes the, the Fox truck or the SRAM truck or yeah, whatever. Yeah. Just pick it up, put it on the bike. Great, we're good to go. Yeah. Which if you look at the Nico days or listen to anyone in motocross get the suspension done. They're doing loads of work on all the stuff, tuning, lots and lots of stuff. Yeah. Where we sh- pretty much everyone at the World Cup race is on full stock, stock product. Uh-huh. We should a little bit of talking, tuning. You're talking about Nico Vulios here for people that maybe didn't grow yeah. up in the same era that we did. Uh, yeah, they were, haven't heard that name, look yeah, it up. They were building quite, bikes. Quite successful. But yeah, they were building bikes specifically for each race, each world championships. Yeah. So they would check where the world champs are next year. Okay, so this is a super pedally long track. We're going to build a bike that pedals well and is really stiff. And they would design the bike around that. And then the next year would be really steep and really rough. And they would design a more flexy bike with a higher pivot for the steeper rough stuff. Whereas I think a lot of people are doing a lot of testing today, but your Canyon Sender has got to perform. I don't mean yours, Chris, in particular, but (laughs) the Canyon Sender has got to perform on all the tracks. Yeah. Yeah. Which I don't think any real race technician or engineer would agree with. You can't have the best performing bike at Leogang and Fort William and Andorra. Mm Mm-hmm. All the tracks have different characteristics, and they could get more yeah. performance for each each track if they were building bikes specifically. Yeah, and I guess like the Atherton bike production method enables that. I don't know how much of that they're doing, but it's it's feasible. And then the specialized prototype that we saw under Finn again, I don't yeah. know if that's just their prototype build or whether they intend to use that 
manufacturing technology for production for the new bike. Mm. But there are certainly like bikes and companies that are going in a direction that could enable that because you're not going to make a carbon mold for a new mm. frame for every different round, right? Because the cost of a mold is so insanely expensive. But maybe in some of these other techniques like 3D printed with carbon tubes and bits and bobs where you can easily mm. tweak stuff, maybe we'll see more of that. Yeah, I think it has been heating up the last few years. Um, getting more exciting, yeah, more interesting stuff. I didn't really follow what was happening with Finn's bike and Specialized, but Intense, they've been doing cool stuff. Yeah. Custom bikes. Yeah, Aftons, really cool. Yeah. Heard a lot of change in the flex, different tubing, different links for different courses. Nico Mullally, also one of your regulars. Uh, yeah, he's been doing some cool stuff. Doing some different things. Keep meaning to text him and be like, Nico, just put a 500 mil chain C on it and try it. <laughs> you'll love it. I'm sure you'll love it. Do it. I'm <laughs> sure he'll give it a go. Yeah. I like Nico. I've met him quite a few times and he's always really interesting to chat to about, about bike stuff. Yeah, super open-minded on stuff as well, I think. Yeah, yeah. Like he's always willing yeah. to give things a go, which is cool. Yeah. Yeah. Well, also common style the last few years with a prototype new bike. They tried loads of things. If you have a look, a close look at the photos, there's different plates that can bolt in to change swing arm stiffness. Yeah, yeah. different linkages that can pretty much change. It looks like they can change the whole bike, and that's yeah, really good. What they've done, built a track to take all the riders there from all the different teams from there. 150 different teams <laughs> and they do data login with all the riders on the same track and I was told they built a track I'm not sure if it was the one they raced on this year but they built a track specifically with all the different features you could need to test like pedaling section, rooty section rocky section hook to flat, berm corners, flat corners all those different things so they could test yeah with all the riders but who's that max commonsal the guy that was behind the nico days same exactly same guy yeah exactly so what are your plans then for the sun are we going to see it out uh, out with you on it like i've just seen workshop videos of it so far but have you got plans pretty much all my plans got put on the back burner this year when all the bikes broke Uh i'm just sort of getting back back on top now there's two plans for that bike. The first plan is to rebuild it and make it usable and try and ride it. Mm-hmm. There's quite a lot of work to do that. That's nothing really interesting. It's just yeah, finding someone who can rebuild an old Boss fork from 1999. Yeah. And then, oh, I don't know if I want to say too much. I'm getting a replica made. A new replica Okay. A postmodern replica. Yeah. Built. Which will hopefully be next summer. That's a big job. Yeah, it should be a modern version. Okay. Of that old radical. Yeah. So employing a lot of the like ideology and technology that went into it, but in a modern geometry and suspension setup. Well, and hopefully gonna get in all the ideas I've ever had to make a bike better all into yeah. one bike. I think postmodernism would be the phrase. 
maybe interesting <laughs> all right watch this space watch this space yeah all right. I need, that's a big investment and well getting stuff made i do often give these bike companies a hard time for the stuff they make but i also feel for them because it's bloody hard to get anything made even something really simple like a linkage <sighs> months and months and emails and money and problems wow yeah it's really really tough to get anything made yeah yeah it makes it even more impressive when you see people like nico you know getting these whole bikes together for world cups yeah, yeah. stuff like it's uh the work that goes on behind the scenes to make that happen it's not insignificant for sure yeah yeah although that said the eggery guy just knocked that bike up in two weeks <laughs> from absolutely nothing just knocked it up he did no CAD, anything. He just built the jig with my numbers. I put the head tube where I wanted it, the seat tube where I want it. And then he sort of just offered up the tubes and guessed. There you go. It's all about finding the right people, I think, with all this stuff. Yeah. Um, yeah, and he just made it up. And then I rode it three or four days and then took it back to him for some little little mods. Uh I can't remember what the problems were. Like the seat tube wasn't reamed properly. Mm-hmm. And he's like, oh yeah, my seat tube reamer broke when I was reaming it. So didn't do a very good job on it. But we were also using a shim and the shim wasn't actually quite the right size. Okay. And I'm not sure what else. A couple of tiny little changes. But I just took it there, took the bike to him complete. And he just chopped some bits off, re-welded it. Back in the van, one hour later, drove off. Simple. Yeah. Very cool. Easy. All right, enough about enough about push bikes. Tell me about the Suron. Oh. I really want to buy a digger and make a mini Suron <laughs> supercross track. So for, for anyone that doesn't know, what is a Suron? Oh. Well, it's an electric motocross bike, but it's not a full-size motocross bike. It's somewhere in between... I guess a one, two, five, two stroke and a, like a pit bike, mini bike. The mini bikes were a big craze when I was younger, like one, two, five thump stars. Yeah. Sort of somewhere in that range, but electric. So it's silent, which is good. If you have your own land and you live right on the edge of a regional park, uh-huh. like I do. <laughs> and yeah, so much fun and reliable so far. Well, yeah, let's start start off with the purchase price because they're stupidly cheap in the grand scheme of like when you compare to mountain bike stuff. Yeah, they're like four and a half thousand pounds, euros, no? Yeah. And I got mine second hand for two and a half thousand, which is really lucky. All the rest are much higher price than that. Yeah. And yeah, it's got a few mountain bike parts like Magura brakes and DNM suspension. Mm-hmm. And it's got a mountain bike bar and stem as standard. Yeah. And yeah, just what, what a load of fun. If you've got private <laughs> land, 100% recommend buying one of those instead of an e-bike. Because of the same price, you could buy a really bottom-end e- e-mountain bike. Yeah. Maybe you should bought a Vitus or like a like a Vitus do a good spec at that price, like four and a half yeah. grand, I think. 
and a couple of yeah. brands are a good, a well-spec e-bike at that price. Yeah, maybe if you want to buy a specialized well. or yeah, Marin. If you want to buy a specialized e-bike at that price, you're just going to get the absolute bottom of the range junk. Uh-huh. And so on. Yeah, I'm not a motocross rider at all, but I've had a few motorbikes in the past. Trials moto, motocross bike. And yeah, just amazing. Just quiet, bum bounds on it. Suspension feels amazing. Even though people keep texting me, oh, I'll get, get a Fox 40 on the front of that and it'll be amazing. Well, I don't think I want to downgrade it, mate. I'll just keep the DNM fork. It's working amazing. Coil spring, loads of oil. It feels amazing. Excellent. Uh, well, how, how fast is it? I think 82Ks down a hill is the fastest I've been. Okay. Which is like, what, 50 mile an hour? Yeah. Okay. And range is the range reasonable on it on a charge? Well, we did. I did do a video about this. I think I think I did twenty two kilometers around the garden. Yeah, I just like throttle open the whole time. Just I think you could do. You could probably do seventy k's just cruising. Okay. Uh, it's the same like vehicle type as a moped. So I keep needing meaning to go to the the car registration place in Italy and get the number plates for it because I could use yeah. it as a as a moped. Okay, but I've strictly been using it off road so far. Of course, yeah. So I don't need that. What? Uh, yeah, just loads of fun. Just it climbs up stuff. Unbelievable. No gears. If you've ever tried to do like enduro motocross riding. If you're not an expert, it's really hard because you've got loads of power and then loads of gears and to get it in the right gear, use the clutch properly, throttle properly, grip. Keep the grip going up the hill. It's really difficult to ride if you're not an expert. Uh-huh. Whereas that thing, you just turn the throttle and it'll just keep going. No gears, just loads of torque. Yeah, it's not a full-on motocross bike at all and all the proper motocross heads will just say it's junk. But I think if you're a mountain biker... Who just wants a fun bike and you've got somewhere to ride it? I'd definitely get one over an e bike, e mountain bike yeah. any day. Are there many of them where you are? Is it becoming popular? Because they're starting to catch on here and they're definitely beginning to cause issues, I think, on mountain bike trails. I've seen a few places posting like people hooning about mountain bike trail centers on them and. The bike itself isn't causing a problem on the trails. Well, yeah, true. The riders, but the, the technology is enabling them. it. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, the people who ride them on the wrong places are a problem. Yeah. But yeah, again, I live, I've got a 30,000 metre farm. And even if I go outside of my land, there's no one, there's no one, <laughs> no one to save you. <laughs> Just no one around. So it's amazing. Well, I think there's quite yeah. a few like tracks popping up in the UK now or riding uh, okay. loans. Like at motocross venues kind of thing. Like they're yeah, doing just, a smaller track on the side. or Yeah, and people just building, you know, stuff in their farmer's fields. and Yeah. There's no noise, so it's quite hard to upset the neighbor, the neighbours. Yeah. But yeah, I love that thing. The grip and on it reliable. No yeah, issues like, with it. I had two punctures, but I've got any tubes in it. Yeah. And I had the punctures running 
quite low pressure, like 11 PSI. Okay. And then 15. And I think the tube was just like the tire and the tube were twisting around the rim and breaking the valve. Okay. Yeah, yeah. But running like over 15 PSI, no problems. Two sets of brake pads on the back. Mm-hmm. No, no problems. Not at all. Just, <laughs> my how, brother came here for a week, it? a few weeks ago, and he rode it for a couple of days. And he's got like road motorbikes and a mountain bike. And he's like, oh my God, I just love this thing. It's the best thing I've ever had. And he <laughs> went, went back home to Morzine, bought one the next day. No way. And the local dealer went and bought one. Yeah. Yeah. You're the local sir on pusher then, yeah? Mm. I've got a new one now, which I really want. Like a bigger, closer to a proper motocross bike. Yeah. So I think I'm going to sell mine and try and get one of those. It's a slippery slope. Have you? Uh, will we see more videos around these things, do you think? I know you mentioned in the past you attempted to do more like electric motorbike stuff. Well, like I said at the start of the podcast, the the business model has changed a lot along the way. There's been some steep learning curves. And one thing I've learned is shipping stuff is really tough, especially from Italy. That's why all my competitions now ship from the UK. Okay. So if I do more content on the Serron, I don't want to sell that in a competition because it'd be impossible to to ship it. Yeah. If I got a bigger audience in the future, I could do like a local, more localized competition. Mm-hmm. But at the moment, as everything's global, if someone in New Zealand wins it, big, big problems to get that, to get that shipped. So yeah. Yeah. It's evolving at the moment. The Serron's just on the back burner. I did want to tune it up, but again, had so many problems with the other stuff. I'm really cautious about buying any more stuff for it. Fair. Because fair. it could. I've thrown away <laughs> thrown away a lot of money this year. Yeah. Are things starting to work out more financially? Yeah. Well, the last two months have been really good. And what's um, turned it around? Is it just more people entering the ticket, like entering the skill-based giveaways? Yeah. Lots more people buying tickets every month. Yeah. And obviously it's a new business, so... Most businesses take a long time to repay the investments. For sure. The main problem I had was, yeah, I bought one bike. I started all in like really good faith. I got buy a bike, review it, give it away. Buy another bike, review it, give it away. Bought the first bike, it broke. Ah, well, I need something to do now. I'll buy another one. Ah, that one's broke as well. <sighs> okay. I'll buy another one, but it's, the first one will definitely be fixed by the time I have to pay for the third one. Oh no, the first one's still not fixed. Right, I'll buy another one. <laughs> because surely the first one's going to be fixed any day now. And then that'll easily pay for the next one. And then just got into this hole where I'll just end, end up with lots of broken bikes. But we seem to be through that now. All the, all the bikes have gone. I just got one bike, the steel edgery, mm-hmm. and a Geometron, which the Geometron guys lent me, which is yeah. really nice of them to help me out. Because yeah, quite a few times I've posted if any bike brand wants to send me a bike to test, I'll test it. Independent review, nobody's contacted me. 
only guy, Chris Porter. I'll give you one. Yeah. Is that I can guarantee you won't have any problems with our bike and with our suspension. The other stuff, that's not mine. Can't guarantee it. But yeah. He's like, I can pretty much guarantee, like 99% guarantee Geometron with our EXC suspension. You won't have a problem. And he's right so far. Yeah. I've never seen one of those G1 frames break. And going back to something we talked about earlier about the progression of the bike brands, they're all trying to reinvent the wheel every year. Every year. Those G1 frames have been the same layout since, I'm not sure, 2005, 6, 7, 8. Uh-huh. And they've just incrementally changed it. And every time there's a problem, they fix it, like running changes. And now they've ended up with a bike that just works perfectly, doesn't break. There's no, like, you know, build-up of force in one place that causes a crack on all the bikes. But I'm sure if Nikolai tried to launch a carbon bike next year, which is a copy of that bike, they would have problems. Yeah, so just been years and years and years. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Same yeah. thing, slow and steady. Build it, check if it works, improve it. Slow and steady. Yeah. Whereas most, a lot of brands just want to launch the Emperor's New Clothes all the time. Yeah, it's easier to make a story about something new for the marketing side, isn't it? That's the challenge. Mm. It's harder yeah. to keep marketing and a, pro- a product that's not changing much. But yeah. there are there are a few brands that operate in that way that are like working on a more iterative uh, thing, which is cool. There's definitely a few. So what's um, what's exciting you at the moment? Like what what have you got your eyes on? What in the mountain bike world is uh, making you go, "Oh, that's kind of cool. That's interesting," or I want to get my hands on some of that. Oh. Well, the Gamuks. Okay, yeah, yeah. feel really sorry for those guys. I ordered one. I should have had one this summer. I ordered one in uh, March, maybe. And they've gone really quiet this year. And I don't know how much I should say, but basically they ordered like 100 production frames. And then mine came with a production batch. Mm-hmm. And then from like a third-party manufacturer. And they basically weren't manufactured correctly. Oh no! And I had to send them all, or they're just being recycled. I had to get these are the machine frames, made. right? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Swiss design machine from massive blocks of alloy, seventy seventy five alloy. It's all machined out into like I beam structure. Yeah, pinion gearbox, semi high pivot, good looking geometry. Mm-hmm. Yeah, looks amazing. And then they had a problem with the second batch, which I should have had one uh, six weeks ago now. Another manufacturing problem. Mm, not their fault again. Good. So they've had yeah, like, yeah. I think they've had two batches of 100 bikes turn up. Oh my God, we can finally send them to our customers and take all the money and problems. But I think they've got another new factory now. So hopefully they'll, you know, sort that out. Fingers crossed, yeah. That's what still, else? I've still got one sort of on pre-order. Atherton. I was talking to Atherton today, actually, about mm-hmm. a custom bike. Okay. Eggery, my next Eggery bike. That's exciting. So tie front yeah. end, lighter weight, steel rear, slight geometry changes. 
That should be good. Trinity. Mm-hmm. Or, yeah, Williams Racing Products, Trinity. Yeah. That's exciting. Uh, not sure when they're coming out or if they're coming out. Another one, Makina Mac- Bikes from Canada. I'm not sure I've seen really that. Really small. <laughs> I messaged them today as also, well, they commented on one of my posts, which was nice. And then I messaged them, and they're not sure if they're going into production or not. They're like carbon and similar to the Athlon, like carbon and machined lug. Yeah. Bikes, I think they're from Canada. Yeah, it's quite hard to get me excited about bikes now because I just think they're all shit. <laughs> I'm just really <laughs> cynical and grumpy and old. So to find something a, that I'm excited about. Yeah, you've had a bad run. What about component tree, like at non-bike level? Is there technology that you're kind of intrigued by? Coil springs in suspension would be nice to see more of. Yeah. Even though it's not really a technology uh, improvement. I'm just fully convinced by coil front and rear. That Nigel Boxer, unreal. Uh-huh. That's uh, NSI, yeah, Nigel Reeves. Yeah, race-only yeah. coil, yeah. I think. Yeah. I'm not convinced at all anymore by air. If you want performance suspension, I think it's got to be coil front and rear. Mm-hmm. I listened to a really good podcast today from Gypsy Tales. Oh, yeah, yeah. That Aussie guy. Yeah. With a guy, oh, I'm not sure his name, Reefer. He's like a motocross test test rider, uh-huh. and he sounds like he worked. He used to be like a media journo tester, high level racer. Also worked with a lot of bike brands, motorbike brands. He's like a test rider. Sounds like he knows exactly what he's talking about. And he's like, oh, I'm not comparing myself to him, but saying the same thing. Like, get the coil suspension, get the air rubbish off. Get it tuned, check your sag, ride it at the track, go back to your tuner, tell him what's wrong with it, just get it tuned. There's always new technologies coming out in the bike world, and I just don't think we need most of them. We just need good coil suspension, lots of oil going through shims, get it tuned, get it running well, sort out the friction, be great. Same with brakes. Brakes, just get some big brakes. Just make them bigger, stronger, more power. All these brake designers can do the the fluid calculations. Just work out how to get the most power with the least effort at the lever. And if it weighs 50 grams more than your competitor, just make it. <laughs> um, yeah, I can't think of anything exciting. Sort of like, I sort of like the electronic stuff. Yeah, okay. Tram access, that's really good. Yeah. Access to is great. Dropper, fantastic. But yeah. they're just doing all the work in the wrong place. Like, get the gears off the back of the bike. It's a mountain bike. It's designed for riding down mountains, past rocks. Like, the rocks move sometimes. I went riding this weekend. Met one of my prize winners in Finale. Went riding with him. He basically got exactly the bike I would recommend. G1. Nikolai G1, coil suspension, front and rear. Snapped the chain. 
It was two two week old chain and he snapped it. Next day I went riding with my mate, came around the corner, massive rock on the trail, like in the big loose rock in the middle of the trail. Just missed it. Hit the derailleur, bent the derailleur, gears not working properly for the rest of the ride. Like yeah. just get it off the back wheel. It's in the wrong place. Gets covered in mud, gets covered in Yeah. Wears out quickly, gets smashed by rocks. Ruins your suspension performance. Just take it off. Just get a penny in. Don't get an effie gear. That was rubbish. Get a penny in. That was exciting. Penny in, I believe, have a new gearbox coming. Ah, uh, okay. That'd at some cool. point. And then now I have electric shifting with a thumb shifter for e-bikes, which is on their website. Oh, nice. You can see that. Yeah. That LAL drive thing. Mm. Supra LAL. Sort of interesting. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Loads of people excited about it. Loads of people messaging me about it. I tried to get one from Nikolai. Tried to buy one, and there's no sign of it. But I think they've only solved half the problem. You still got the cassette on the back wheel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're just, not getting the weight just reduction. Just take like... it off. Just put it yeah. in the frame. That's why Trinity interest are interesting. They're trying to get sort of gears traditional gears into the frame mm-hmm. well yeah just use a pinion it's a bit heavier but your suspension's 10 times better yeah it's a little less efficient ask yourself are you a top level cross country racer no you're not <laughs> are you under 10% body fat no you're not did you drink four beers last night and smoke a cigarette with your mates at the pub Yes, you did. Get on with opinion. It's a bit less efficient, but who cares? Just enjoy it. Just pedal. Do you want to get stronger and fitter? Yes. Pedal a heavy bike. Everybody wants to get stronger and fitter. Like Quality. Yeah, just get a reliable bike. Get the suspension done. Try and get a gearbox in it. Get on with... Don't weigh it. If you weigh it, every time you pedal to the top of the hill, you'll be thinking, oh my God. My bike's 15.6 kilos, and my mate Dave, his bike's 15.2. That's why he's ahead of me. He's not ahead of you because his bike's lighter. He's ahead of you because he's just getting on with the job. Just pedal up the top of the hill, ride it down, have good performance on the way down. Don't spend your whole life servicing it and changing parts. Yeah, and enjoy it. Enjoy actual mountain biking. Happy days. That's a good place for us to uh, <laughs> to wrap it up. We're getting to the hour and a half mark, but if people want to keep up to speed with you, with the project, like where can they look? What would you ask for from them? Mainly Instagram and my mailing list. Mailing list. I am adding more written reviews to my site slowly, mm-hmm. which is again to all the links on Instagram astonmtv.com yeah and I'm going to try and start doing some more YouTube stuff but it's an absolute nightmare I hate being on camera I hate talking to the camera I hate talking to you on this podcast (laughs) (laughs) Um, yeah I don't like being in front of the camera and I hate editing movies and all that goes along with it but I'm going to do a few more YouTube videos this year Okay. Yeah, mostly Instagram, just keeping it simple. Nothing flashy. 
bad iPhone photography from me. And yeah, just trying to be simple, authentic, straight talking, tell the truth. Yeah, all yeah. right. Buy a ticket for the competition. There's no trickery in the competitions. Every competition gets drawn. The price is what you see. If you don't like me, you don't like what I say, don't buy a ticket. <laughs> if you do like it, there we go. buy a ticket. No one's forced to buy a ticket. All the content's free. If you do like it, yeah, please support and hopefully we can move up in the future. And, you know, I've got big goals, but everything's on hold, really. I want to build a proper workshop. Uh, I had a great mechanic this year, Matt. I want to get him back next year. Would love to get suspension dynos, some jigs. Would love to get a full time in house filmer, just knocking out films and higher quality content all the time. But, yeah, slow and steady, organic growth. Yeah, you'll get there, man. You'll get there. So it's at Aston MTB on Instagram, yeah? Yeah, everything's Aston MTB website, cool. Instagram. Yeah, sign up to the mailing list if you want to get regular mail outs. Yeah, that's it. Just simple. All right. Open, normal, just a normal guy riding a bike, talking about my normal bike experiences. Good stuff, man. Well, we'll stick links to all of that in the show notes. Thanks for uh, for your time, for doing something you don't necessarily want to do and sit down and have a chat. Um, but yeah, thanks, man. It's been a pleasure and uh, I look forward to seeing how the next year evolves, how the channel grows and uh, getting you back in a year's time to chat more about it. No, no, thank you, Chris. And yeah, massive thanks to all my supporters. Got some really good fans. Some people putting a lot of money into those competitions. And they don't care if they win or not. They're just happy to put the money in. Loads of really good comments. Loads of nice emails from people. Yeah, all really positive now. Fantastic. Thanks to everybody. Good stuff, man. All right. Take care, dude. Cheers, Chris. All right. That's it for this episode with Paul. I really hope you've enjoyed it. A massive thanks to YT for supporting this episode. In a world where the price of pretty much everything is going up, YT have worked hard to bring down the pricing of a number of the models in their range. What's more, as a downtime listener, they're offering you an extra £100 or dollars or euros, depending on where you're based, off of their entire range. All you need to do is to select I have a voucher in the bottom left corner at checkout and use the code DOWNTIME2008. That's downtime with a capital D, no space, then the number 2008 over at yt-industries.com. The code is valid for a maximum of 200 uses and it runs until the 31st of March 2023. Also, a massive thanks to Earshots for supporting the episode too. If you want headphones that are the perfect fit for riding, running or training or for just listening to your favourite podcast, then look no further than Earshots. As a downtime listener, Earshots are offering you 10% off. All you need to do is to enter the code DOWNTIME22 at the checkout over on earshots.com and the discount will be applied at the final stage of the checkout process. That's downtime, all uppercase, no space, and the number 22 over at earshots.com. All right, here's a few other links that might be useful to you too. Downtimepodcast.com forward slash subscribe so you never miss an episode. Forward slash shop to support the show by getting yourself some brand new merch. And forward slash EP if you want to get your hands on copies of our lovely print project, Downtime EP. As always, spread the word, tell your rider mates, and make sure as many people as possible are listening. That's it for today. We're going to have another awesome episode coming up really soon. But until next time, get out and ride.